Look, payday's awesome, but running payroll, calculating taxes and deductions, staying compliant, that's not easy. Unless, of course, you have Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits tool built for small businesses like yours. Gusto gets your team paid while automatically filing your payroll taxes. Plus, you can offer benefits like 401k, health insurance, and workers' comp, and it makes onboarding new employees a breeze. We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. that's gusto.com slash being boss. What if there was a missing part of your process for creating your next thing, for marketing it, for selling it, that if you were to just set aside the time and do the work, would make it easier for you to make sure that what you're creating, marketing, and selling we're more likely to hit the mark. Welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creatives, business owners, and entrepreneurs who want to take control of their work and live life on their own terms. I'm your host, Emily Thompson. And today I want to talk about that thing, that part of the process that I know too few business owners are putting the time and energy into that if they were to just do it, would take so much of the guesswork that leaves us feeling hesitant to commit to launch and share. That thing is gathering testimonials and feedback for the purpose of knowing your customer, for understanding how they benefit from that thing that you're offering, and how to use all of that to relate to your future customers in a way that makes it easier for them to say yes. To explore this topic, I invited Iman Ismail for a chat. Iman is the person to call when you want to make more money from your emails. As an email conversion strategist and copywriter and the founder of Inkhouse, she helps six-plus-figure business owners and e-commerce brands fire up their conversions, evergreen their sales, and turn fans into superfans. She's worked with powerhouses like Joanna Weeb from Copy Hackers, Belinda Weaver from the Hot Copy Podcast, Interact, the quiz platform, and holds regular copywriting workshops in partnership with Lloyd's Business Bank. She's even worked with me here at Being Boss. There's a good chance that you, as a podcast listener, are aware of how much the podcast industry has grown. With literally millions of podcasts available, it can be hard to find truly great content that's worth your precious time. But podcast networks make that easier. In particular, I'm talking HubSpot, as they aim to provide more value and educational materials to customers, prospects, and fans by expanding their audio offerings with top business podcasts like Being Boss. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. Each podcast offers expertise related to one field, marketing, sales, service, operations, yet together, this collection covers the scope and mastery every company needs to find success. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Hi, Aman. Welcome to Being Boss. Hey, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. 
It is my pleasure. I have been wanting to have you on the show for a hot minute, and I I knew there was going to be the perfect spot for you coming up. And as I was working through some some content planning, I saw it, and I was like, it's time for Amon. Oh, love it. I love it. <laughs> Can I just say, for anyone who's listening, I have been listening to this show for so long, since before I started my business. And I remember always thinking, oh, how amazing would it be to be a guest? And I just never, ever, ever thought that I would ever be here. So if anyone is listening to this thinking, I could never do this, please know it is possible. It really is. I was I was in that position just a few years ago. Oh, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And I will say this is is very similar to a conversation that I had with Mary Williams a couple of episodes ago where she shared something very similar. And the thing is, is that you, you bosses show up, right? You show up, you put yourself in the places um, where people can learn about what it is that you do. I've had the pleasure of working with you. I, you are a part of the community. I miss seeing your face in all of the Monday meetups, but I know that time zones are, um, have shifted a lot for you, but, um, but I've gotten to know you because you show up in our sphere and I'm, I'm delighted to share with everyone what it is that you do. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Let's get started because I'm super excited to dive in on a couple of things with you, but I want to get started the way we start all introductions here at Being Boss, and that is having you share with us your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get to where you are today? Okay, so as I'm sure everyone says this, it was a long winding road, but I started off working in a charity. So I was managing the communications department for a charity and I was doing loads of things like um, copywriting. I was managing the social media, even though I hated that part of the job. Um, it was part of that role, so I had to do it. I was creating like their videos um, and their scripts and all sorts. And it was it was good. I, you know, I enjoyed most of it. I was probably doing the job of about three different people, to be honest. Um, but it was it was a great intro into what came next. So the thing with this job was it didn't pay me very well. And I was working evenings and weekends. And it was the type of job where you were expected to always be on call, basically, which is crazy because I'm not a doctor. But OK, so, I mean, I you'd get messages at like, you know, two o'clock in the, in the morning, um, early hours of the morning. Uh, really late at night it didn't matter like whenever someone needed you or thought of something like they would send you a message to your phone and it was it was a lot um and then on top of so it was like you know the culture didn't fit right wasn't right for me because it that was fine for a lot of people who were there um but it just wasn't okay with me so I I could sense that this wasn't going to work out and then on top of that I was commuting to that job so every morning I would wake up at about five o'clock on a good day and um, take my then two-year-old son to nursery and then head over um, to the motorway or highway for Americans. And it would take me about an hour, an hour and a half to get to work. And that was just one way I'd be driving. And then the other way, it'd be about an hour. So by the time I got home, it would be like 8 p.m., 8 in the evening. I had a childminder who would pick up my son from nursery and I'd get into my house every night and um he would be asleep on the couch and I'd always rush home because I wanted to get home before he fell asleep and um, but he'd always be asleep on the couch because he'd ref- he'd refuse to go to bed without me and he was doing his best to to stay up and wait for me at two 
And it was really devastating. I was still breastfeeding as well back then. And so I just, like the whole thing was just really emotional and upsetting. And I really felt depressed. And um, it took it took one of my colleagues at my job to actually say, um, so I must have complained one day. And then she complained about me complaining. And then it was quite, yeah, yeah, it was it was a lot. And it was quite deep what she said. But I took a moment and I reflected instead of getting defensive, which I would usually do, but I reflected and I realized she was right. I was complaining a lot and that wasn't who I was. And I'd kind of lost sense of who I was. I was so unhappy, um, really was depressed. And I just thought, I can't do this anymore. Um, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be this person anymore who just complains all the time and who just hates life, right? Um, So I spoke to my manager and I asked him, Um, if I could work from home and to get a pay rise. So we said yes, but not now to the pay rise, which wasn't good enough for me. Um, I actually asked him for a specific figure too. And he said, um, he said, "Mm, you're not quite there yet, which I didn't agree with, but okay. And I asked if I could work from home more and the answer to that was no as well. So I resigned. Um, I had a month's notice to work. I worked it. I had no backup job, no savings, um, no idea how this business thing was going to work. I just knew that I'd always wanted to set up a copywriting business and that it really felt like it's now or never. Like this is the time to do it or it's never going to happen. Um, so I did it. I left on a Friday. <laughs> a couple of hours later, actually, um, the manager sent me a text asking if you could hire me as a freelancer until um, they found my replacement. So I actually ended up working for that uh, company for a little longer and they paid me a whole lot more as a freelancer. And um, so I left on the Friday and by the Monday, I, I had um, another client on top of that company. Um, and then by the end of that week, I had a few inquiries and then it just kind of spiraled from there. And um, eventually, I, I mean, I was a general copywriter. I kind of did a bit of everything, uh, but now I um, I've specialized. So I'm now an email conversion strategist and copywriter, which basically means I make lots of money for business owners. Um, through emails. So I write uh, great emails that not just make money, but also, um, you know, nurture and create relationships with their ideal audience. Amon, I can't imagine you not being your happy-go-lucky self. This is like, I'm a little mind blown by who that person would be. Right? (laughs) And I really felt like that. I was just like, this is, this is not me. And like what she said really hurt my feelings. But I could see that she was totally right. And I I really am like a, a bubbly person. And I just lost all of it. Like it was gone. I was so exhausted all, all the time. And I just missed my son. And I wasn't able to be the mom that I wanted to be to him. And I just remember thinking, I took this job so that I could create a better life for him and me. And, um, and I don't even see him anymore. It was awful. And so... I felt like I needed to take control of my schedule, my life, my time so that I could be that mum. And um, everything changed. I, you know, was able to pick my son up from nursery every day. Um, I could, you know, go into his nursery and and be the parent that volunteers to read stories in the middle of the day or take uh, or go to their, you know, farm trip with them. And it's funny because all that stuff my son completely takes for granted because he thinks that's entirely normal. It's normal to just have a mum who's always there and can be there at any time, right? And I'm so happy that he has that kind of naivety and doesn't know anything else. Uh, Yeah, but it took a long time to get here. (laughs) 
Oh, but that's amazing. I I had no idea of any of this. So thank you so much for sharing this this bit of your journey with us because I think what you are sharing is sadly not unusual, right? We so many so many people who find themselves probably listening to this podcast, right? Took the leap for very similar reasons. And same for me, I wanted to be at home with my kid. That was the priority that I was putting above a traditional nine to five or five to nine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just sounds like it's kind of what, what you had. And, but I find that so many people like will stay in those positions, whereas you gain the awareness that you needed, you sort of re-put up these boundaries that were your non-negotiables, and you took an insanely scary leap, but landed on your feet. Yeah, I mean, when I look back, I remember being terrified. I was so scared, but also really excited because it finally felt like I could take control of my life. I remember, you know, when 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 my son would be sick, and he was sick often because he was just catching everything that <laughs> goes around, you know, nurseries and things, um, and then passing them on to me, so then we'd both be sick. Um, I remember, you know, contacting the people at work that you have to contact to, you know, get permission to take the morning off so that I could take him to the doctors. And I just remember thinking, I am a grown adult. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm yep. a parent and my son needs to take and my son needs to go to the doctors. I don't understand why I have to ask someone for permission. But that is just life when you work for someone else. So I realized pretty quickly, well then I need to stop working for someone else because this is, is not for me. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I, I hope that any boss who finds themselves in that situation can pull some inspiration. <laughs> from your story for sure. But I do want to get into this sales piece because you mentioned you help businesses make a lot of money through email. You're an email conversion strategist. Did I say that correctly? I feel like you did. Yes. You look the first person to ever say it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I've definitely said it incorrectly before. So email conversion strategist, um, I've had the pleasure of working with you to build out some being boss email flows. And so I've seen a little bit what your what your process is and you make it look so easy basically. And I know as creatives, sales can be scary. And I know also as, you know, bosses, sometimes sales flows, sell sales emails flows. Let me try that one again. Sales email flows, there we go, <laughs> can be incredibly What's the word I'm looking for? Intimidating, I think. So that's really what I want to talk with you about today is is how it is that you have how it is that you embrace this process and use it as your skill set for helping businesses make more money in their in their businesses. So I want to start out with sales and mindset because I feel like that's usually the first hurdle especially creatives need to need to smash through basically. Um, and I'm wondering from you what what mindset shifts in particular do you think that bosses need to make in order to get comfortable selling what it is that they do? I mean in extra points if you have some funny like client stories. <laughs> Give us some good dish. 
I will try and think of some. But I mean, the first thing I want to say is that I am I am really lucky because I am in a role where every, all the skills that I know and all the skills that I'm constantly learning are things that I can use not just for my clients um, and the emails that I write for them, but also for me and my business and the emails that I write for myself. And you know, even the web, I mean, I'm not a website copywriter anymore, but even the you know the website that I write for myself. And so it's it's amazing because everything I learn I can apply to to me and my business. So that's a great advantage. Firstly. Um, but secondly, in terms of sales and mindset, I think the biggest thing is obviously we're often scared to sell. And the thing with sales emails is that they're all about the sell. So you can't be afraid to sell. And I think the key to becoming comfortable with that sell is actually to stop thinking about it as a sell. Instead of thinking about it as a sales process or even you just, you know, asking people to buy your thing or to, you know, give you money, because I think that's how we think about it. We think, oh, you know, I can't ask someone to give me money, or it feels like I'm begging this person to buy from me. Well, it's not at all. It's actually you giving someone the opportunity to work with you, or to benefit from what it is that you do, whether it, whether that's, you know, you selling a product or a service. And the thing is, is if if you make that switch, and I know that we all can because none of us would be doing the thing that we do if we didn't truly believe that it helps people, that it can improve their lives or businesses or make them happier in some way or make their life easier in some way. So we all believe that we have something valuable to give. If you stop thinking about, you know, I'm making this sale or I'm trying to make the sale and think about it as, well, I have something amazing to offer and I want to give this person the opportunity to benefit from this. That changes everything. Um, no matter what you do, no matter what industry or business you're in, it changes everything. And I, even I still struggle with this. Um, I don't do anything other than email anymore. So I only work on email. But I had an old blogging workshop that I that is still on my website. And I was looking at it yesterday morning and thinking, yeah, I just need to take that down because it doesn't make any sense anymore for what I do, but I created it. So I didn't want to take it down initially. And I was like, okay, you've got to let go of the blogging workshop. Um, and then I had this thought where I thought, well, well, what if I like do a quick flash sale? I mean, that's, I've never done anything like that before. I do not believe in discounts. I do not believe in, um, in, in sales for, for certainly for services and even for e-commerce businesses, which I also work with a lot. I do not believe in always discounting and, you know, um, doing flash sales and all this stuff. But I thought, I've never done it before. Why don't I just try it? And then that voice came in my head that was like, ah, you're going to look desperate. Everyone's going to think that, you know, you are struggling to sell this thing. You're going to look, you know, less professional. Um, people are going to think that you're basically like begging for a sale. And then I had to kind of talk myself through that and think, well, what do you have to lose? You can send this email to your list and put it on your Instagram as well and just see what happens because it's a great workshop. And you know what I actually did? I went back on my website and I read through the testimonials that other people had left about this workshop to remind myself that it was a great workshop and that loads of people could benefit from it if I just gave them the opportunity, if I just put it in front of them. So I did. I advertised the flash sale on Instagram and I was like, this is a 24 hour thing. You can get it for half price. I sent a list to my email, worried that people would unsubscribe, even though 
I am not usually afraid of unsubscribes. It did frighten me a little bit. Um, but this morning when it closed, I had made 26 sales, actually 28 just before I got on this call. So 28 sales and not one person unsubscribed from me asking them to buy this thing. And that is, I mean, it wasn't a huge amount of money, but it's an extra 500 pounds. What is that? $700 that I didn't have in my account yesterday just because I did the thing and I, 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 I showed up and I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. Let's do this. And I did it anyway. Yes to all of that. I wanted to amen you about 14 times during all of that. <laughs> um, but I stayed quiet. And the thing that I really want to point out here is that this is extremely common. One of the things that I find myself, especially like either in the community or from having one-on-one conversations with bosses who are struggling with, you know, making some revenue or selling the thing or selling the new thing. Let's say they have gotten really great at selling something, but they want to add a new course or a new offering or a new product. And it's not seeing the kind of numbers that they anticipated. My first question is always, but have you told people that it's there? And like how to buy you? Have you told people how to buy you or it? And oftentimes there's this moment of like, huh, (laughs) I didn't think about that. Or no, I haven't. And that there is the answer to why it is that you're not seeing the results that you want most of the time, I find in the kinds of in the kinds of businesses that we run. And what you are explaining is that like email, email is the easiest, best answer for telling people what it is that you sell, how it is they can buy it so that your business is making money. Yes. Oh, there's so many things that I want to say back to that. Okay. So firstly, people have, when it comes to email specifically, people have actively signed up to hear from you. Like these are people who want to hear from you. These are people who have expressed an actual interest in what you do and what they can get from you. So for you to not then give them that chance to find out about how exactly you can help them, it's really sad because you can help them and they want you to help them, but you're not because you're like just stuck in your mind and you're worried about, you know, this and that and sales and when actually this person just wants to know, well, how can I buy from you? And often what people do when they start newsletters for their own businesses, they turn them into these like nice little, you know, storytelling newsletters that tell like all the stories in the world or like do all the roundups of the world. And I don't know, recommend like all the books and all the podcasts, but the person doesn't ever actually know how to work with you or how to buy from you or, you know, what you even do. Like, what do you do? (laughs) How can I find out what do you do? And it's such a missed opportunity because these people have already told you that they want to hear from you. And I really think that today, email, like someone giving you that email address um, when you're a business is akin to someone giving you their, their phone number because email is so personal and because we carry it on our phones, most of us, in our pockets all day long. Like we can have 24 access, uh, 24-7 access to, to anyone who's on our list. And so it's really important to make to make the most of it. And I mean, there are a million other things I wanted to say, but I've completely forgotten. (laughs) So so I'll end that little speech there. (laughs) Yes, I agree with all of that as well. Whenever someone gives you their email address, they're literally asking you to tell them how to buy you. And so if you're not If you're not fulfilling your end of that bargain, right, why would they stay around? You're not going to convert them into customers. 
I remembered. Yes. Oh, yeah, I remembered what I was say. I'm sorry, I have to say before it goes. <laughs> so you had said, um, you know, often the issue is that people are not telling people what they've created. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And the other side of that is like almost like the other end of that is they tell people too late. Like they spend forever creating this thing. And then they have their launch day and then they expect like all these sales to just just flood in on launch day. And that is the complete wrong way to make the use, to make best use of email. Because what you want to do is get people excited about it. Let them know about it before you've launched, before launch day, so that people can, can you know, um, anticipate that it's coming and even like start saving money for it because they know that you're about to, you know, release something amazing. And so that's why email is great as well. But people usually forget to focus on the pre-launch kind of uh, email sequence and they go straight into the launch. And often they'll even only send like one or two emails when a launch, when you're emailing, uh, should be an intense period of emails. And I know that people are uncomfortable about, about that and they feel uncomfortable about sending an email every day for a week, for example. But there's lots of things that you can do to, to do that ethically and to give people a choice in this. So firstly, anyone who doesn't want to get the emails will unsubscribe. And that is totally okay as well. And just try not to take it personally as hard as it is. And remember that they're usually saving you money because you have to pay for every subscriber if for most plans that you're on, right? Um, but the most important thing about that is when you are when you have like a a heavy period of emailing, you can give people the option to opt out. You can say if you're in the middle of of a hardcore launch for a week and you're sending emails every day, which you really should be doing if you're launching a new thing, you can say at the top of the email, hey, if you don't want to get emails anymore about X product that I'm launching this week, you can opt out here. You will still receive my weekly newsletter but I won't email you anymore about this launch. And then you, you're giving people the option to, to, to just step back from those emails. And that's totally fine too. And I will say some people do that, but still kind of chicken out because they put it like at the end of the email or in the middle where people aren't really going to see it. Put it at the top of your email and trust that the right people and your right, your right people and your right audience will stay for the ride. Growing your business is hard work. They don't call them growing pains for nothing. And scaling up the communications that make your business run can often be the hardest part. Managing conversations with prospects and customers throughout all stages of their journey can be tough. Information can get lost, add team members, and the problem gets more complex. With HubSpot's CRM platform, features like live chat, email templates, and more, you get a unified system of record that allows you and your team the ability to create a better customer experience without missing a beat. You can install live chat on your website, send marketing emails, allow prospects to book meetings, and more. And it all lives in one place. Learn more about how to scale your business without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. Okay, perfect. I want to go into something that you brought up a minute ago. And for me, this is like maybe the golden nugget that I think that you have like mined out of the ground and it's holding in your little palm to keep for yourself, but like show it to us a little bit. Okay. <laughs> okay. Even I want to know what this is. I'm like, what is right. this thing that I have? <laughs> 
And that is the use of testimonials, right? It is the use of testimonials and customer feedback um, in these sales emails that I've seen you use in a way that I've never seen anyone else use. I think <gasps> we all know that testimonials wow. are great for marketing, right? But in going through your process, I was so impressed by your dedication to getting feedback and to getting these testimonials for both research for these emails, but also in use in these emails. So this is my perspective of your tactic, but I'm wondering for you, why are you doing this? What is your reason for, for digging into testimonials and customer feedback to the extent that you do for these sales emails? That is such a good question. And can I just say, no one has ever asked me this question before. And it's so refreshing to get <laughs> to there get a question go. that I've never been asked before. So thank you. <laughs> so the thing of, around testimonials and the reason that I use them so much, and the reason that I delve so much into what the you know, what the audience or customers or clients are are thinking, as in the people that I'm selling to, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? Is because people don't want to hear me talk about how amazing I am. They would much rather hear other people talk about how amazing I am. And they would also, they'll also believe that person much, much more than they'll believe me. And it's the same for all my clients when I'm writing emails. So when I was writing a sequence for Being Boss to um, encourage people to join the community, they don't want to hear Emily say, this community is amazing. They want to hear the community members say, this community is amazing, you should join. But not even just that, because people tend to just stop at this kind of surface level testimonials where it's just, oh, this thing is amazing. You should go get it. I loved it. What people really want is to feel seen and heard and understood. And so that is what your testimonials can do. Your testimonials should um, reflect the, the struggles that your prospect, whoever it is that you're selling to, that your prospect is having the worries that they're having, the hesitations and objections that they have around joining, even if that's price. Like I have a testimonial on my website um, of someone who says something like, I was a little worried about the price. And most people would take that out of a testimonial because they think that's a negative thing. But that's a really positive thing because if, if one person is thinking that, then you know that there are 10 others who are thinking it who just haven't said it. So why would you hide away from that? Instead, let me show you someone who was just like you, who was worried about investing in me, but did it anyway and got amazing results and was totally happy that they did. And so what the job of the testimonial is to do is to reflect those objections and those concerns and those struggles and maybe even re reflect the goals as well that they have. So, you know, what is it that the person really wants? What do they want most? And then show them testimonials that get that same result from, from people that they can really um, feel connected to. And that's why it's so important to put things like faces to your testimonials as well and other bits and pieces of information that's really helpful. So I was working, uh, I'm right now working on uh, a, a number of welcome sequences for e-commerce, for an e-commerce business. And we had a testimonial in one of her emails and I had 
put that this person, I'd put this person's name, so the person who gave the testimonial, there was her name, and then I said um, Muslim mum. So she was a Muslim mum, and that mattered to the audience because that was the audience that I was talking to. So they would instantly feel like, oh, okay, this person is like me, so I, I, I connect with her. Even if they don't realize that connection, that connection is created. But my client came back and was like, ah, oh, no, is it all right if we just put like the city that she's from? So I then had to explain that that's a really useless piece of information <laughs> to put on a testimonial because it doesn't mean anything at all unless it does mean something. Like if, for example, someone really is going to connect with someone because of their location, if it matters, it matters. But when it doesn't matter, it's completely irrelevant. And every piece of information in that testimonial should be completely relevant. And it shouldn't just be about making you look amazing as a person who is doing the selling. It should be about making the reader feel seen, heard, and understood. Yes. I'll also say one of the things that I really enjoyed about your process of gathering so many testimonials and so much feedback too, was that it really allowed us to hone in on what the real benefits were. Because as the person who creates the thing, whatever it may be, you have this idea of what the benefits of working with you or buying the product or buying the course or whatever. You have an idea of what those benefits are. Like they're going to help, you know, your skin look more radiant or they're going to help, you know, you make more money, save more time, all of those things. But once your customers are in there, they could end up having a whole other experience that you never really imagined. Like there is value in there that you haven't experienced because you haven't done it. They're doing it. And I find that that's also another very valuable layer to the work of like talking to your customers, getting that feedback, scraping out those testimonials, all those things, you're able to write more effective sales copies once you have a clear view of what it is that you've created, what it is that you're offering through the lens of people who are actually benefiting from it. Exactly, exactly. And it's so important to do that to the point that, um, I mean, I, I use testimonials and feedback so much for at the start of a project and even at the end. And now that I'm thinking about creating, there's a course that I want to create, actually a, a program that I want to create in a couple of months. I wouldn't dare create this program without first speaking to the people that I want to sell it to because they have such a different grip on what's actually going on. Like you said, as business owners, we are too close to the thing. So we really need to speak to the people who are using it and find out what they love about it and how they feel, um, you know, it's, it's most beneficial. And I'm so glad you said that about, you know, you finding all these benefits that you hadn't necessarily thought of because that's what happens when you speak to your customers. And it's amazing because you had a full-on sales page. That was a, that is a really good sales page for the community. But when I spoke to members of the Being Boss community, when I asked them, what is your favorite thing about the community? There are a few different things that came up that weren't highlighted on the sales page that came up a lot for, for the people that I was speaking to. So it was clearly a, a common theme that these were the things that they loved most. And so it was those things that I could put into the emails so that other people could get excited about it too. And yeah, I just, I, it's super important to speak, to speak to your audience and to find out what they, what they love most about what you offer. And even 
even to find out how they use it, because sometimes that is different as well. Like I'm currently working with a um, a decor, like a party decor company. So I'm writing their emails and the owner, when I asked her, like, how do your customers use, you know, your, your decorations? She said, well, they generally, or she thought that they, they generally, you know, um, put their kids to sleep and then they'll do all the decorations and put all the decorations up so that when the kids wake up, it's a surprise and the kids will be, you know, really, they'll, they'll love the house, they'll be happy, they'll be excited and be like, wow, what an amazing surprise. But when I spoke to the customers, there was another use that came out of it as well. And so, yes, that was one way that people used it. But the other way was they actually got all the family involved. So the kids would stay up. They wouldn't put the kids to sleep and make it as a surprise. They The kids would join in and put the decorations up so that it would become this family activity where, you know, the family got to spend more time together and it became a memory that they could they could create and a tradition that they could create so that they could then do this every year for their celebration. And nuggets like that are so important. And that actually went into the email as well because some people will use it like this and others will use it like this. And that's something that the the owner didn't know. And, you know, we would never have known if we hadn't spoken to the customers directly. Oh, yes. If you create a vacuum, you're going to miss so many things. So many things. So I'm wondering from you, if you were to look at the way you do a project where you are creating a sales sequence for a client, about how much of that time do you think is collecting customer testimonials and feedback? Like how much of your process is that one key piece? I love it. So generally, this is this is what I class as the research process. So customer interviews and surveys, and then checking out existing testimonials. And then what I do is I pick the testimonials uh, from from the the customer interviews that I do. So the testimonials will generally come out of those customer interviews and surveys. Um, but also, interestingly, part of that is competitor research too. So I actually check out the testimonials from competitors to see what their customers love most about them like are there common themes are the same things coming up are there any points of differentiation that makes my clients you know program or community uh, special over the other one because the other one doesn't offer xyz um i oh my god i've gone on such a tangent i completely forgot the question <laughs> how much time so of your process <laughs> okay yes i remember and i'm glad that you asked me this because i am a time tracking freak so I time track everything. So I know the answer to this. I know the factual answer to this. So I spend, um, well, actually, I've changed the entire way that I work. But for your project, um, I spend around 20 hours doing research. And then it was about 10 hours writing. So I spent double the time researching and half the time writing. And even now I've changed the way that I work. So um, I have a VIP day business model now um, where people can can opt in to get the customer research as, as an add-on, which I always recommend because it's so, so crucial. Um, but even then, when I am working on, on a VIP day, the people will be really surprised to find that the majority of the day goes on that research, on that customer research and finding out what exactly the customer is saying, feeling, what they need to know, what they're worried about, what their motivations are, what their objections and hesitations are around buying the thing. And, and 
a lot less of that time is spent writing. And the more time I spend on the research stage, the less time I need to spend on the writing stage because everything is just so clear to me. Like I know going in exactly what I need to write and then writing it is the easy part. Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. (laughs) That (laughs) so much of your time is going into that part of the process. And that is probably the part of the process that no one is doing on their own. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's so important because I just want to say that I never used to do this for my own business. I used to do it for clients and then because I'd always leave like the little scraps of myself for me and my own business you know like 10 p.m me when I'm exhausted I didn't really treat my own projects and my own launches like I would um for clients I could put so much more effort into client launches than my own and then one day you know I really I realized that I'm not seeing the same results for myself as I am for clients because I'm not putting the work in for myself. And so I really needed to start treating myself like a client and start doing all those things that I do for clients, including customer research and customer surveys and finding out what my customers actually want before I, you know, go into um, either selling a thing or launching a thing. Even when I was writing my website, Emily, I had emailed you. And that was the that was the point in my life where in my business where I realized oh no, I need to do custom research for myself too. Like I can't, I can't just skip it and think that I don't need to because I'm a copywriter. No, I need to do it too. So when I was working on the rebrand in my website, which is officially out, yay, I came to you and asked if I could do some research, um, if I could do a customer research interview with you. And you kindly said yes. So we spent about 40 minutes on the on a Zoom call where I was asking you a bunch of questions. And I got so much information from that call. For example, I mean, here are just a few examples. So the first one was, I didn't know what to call my audience. So I thought that my ideal client calls themselves um, an online entrepreneur because that's just what I called them. And through doing the customer research interviews with you and also others who were my ideal clients, what hadn't become clients at that point, I found out that nobody calls themselves an online entrepreneur. Everyone called themselves an online business owner. So immediately I knew that when I'm talking about my audience on my website, I need to refer to them as an online business owner because you have to speak about your audience in the same way that they speak about themselves. Because if you don't, they won't be able to recognize themselves in your copy. They won't connect with your copy because well, I'm not an online entrepreneur. I'm an online business owner. And so these small details are so, so important. And then on top of that, other little things, and you'll be really interested in this, the patterns that I found between the different uh, ideal clients that I was um, interviewing was that all of them journaled (laughs) and had like early, did yeah, early morning journaling. Um, All of them enjoyed tea and spoke about, you know, having pots of tea. Um, Seriously, most of them woke up early in the morning. I got most of the stuff done early in the morning. And when I asked, you know, what you enjoy doing in your spare time, a lot of people mentioned um, loving, you know, the mountains and being around trees and forests. And it was fascinating. And so not everything has to be like a huge aha, oh my God, moment, they can also be those tiny things that really create that connection too. So on my website, you'll find references to journaling and pots of tea because it's those little things where the audience as well, the person who's reading can read it and think, 
oh, how did he, how did Yvonne know that about me? How did she know that I like tea? How did she know that I like to journal? Those things really matter and are just as important as the hardcore sales side. I love all of that because you're learning so many things about people that you're probably not spending as much time talking to as you should be that infuses itself into so many parts of your business that they're going to be able to relate to you that much more easily and better and faster and all of these things just by taking some time to do some what really is some powerful research. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. How awkward is it to ask your client, have you seen my invoice? It's absolutely cringeworthy, so let's not ever ask that, okay? Instead, send your invoices with FreshBooks so that you can see when invoices have been opened, if at all, and even set up automated follow-up emails that go out without you having to lift a finger. Try FreshBooks for free for 30 days, no credit card required. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section. Next layer of this topic slash question, topic, it's a topic, is getting usable testimonials and feedback from customers and clients. So I would love to hear from you if you have any like fancy tips or tricks for getting really usable feedback and not just like weird quotes that don't make sense or out of context or maybe like isn't weaving those threads that make so much sense. Um, How do you make that do? Oh, I love this question too. Okay. So the key to this is to give your audience the guidance they need. So don't just leave it to them and say, hey, can I have a testimonial? Because most people find that really difficult. Even me as a writer, you don't know. I enjoy writing testimonials, uh, but every time someone says to me, hey, could you write me a testimonial? I always think how difficult that is for someone who isn't particularly comfortable with writing to just kind of get the words from thin air. I write and research and find testimonials all the time, so I know how to write a good one. Most people don't. The key is to guide, guide people in how to give you a good testimonial. So never just leave it up to them. So there are a few different ways that you can do that. But the way that I do it is, well, actually, I've experimented with a couple of different things. But the way that I do it now is I send them a survey. And the very front page of the survey is all about framing this entire experience. So I tell them what I need from them instead of just uh, expecting them to, to know that. I tell them that, you know, they are the best person to give me feedback because, you know, they have experienced firsthand what it's like to work with me. So there's a bit of complimenting them there, but also allowing them to realize that um, although they might feel like they're not the best person to give this testimonial, they are expertly qualified to give me this testimonial. I want to make them feel good about themselves and also feel confident about giving me the testimonial. So there's a bit of psychology here. That's really important. And then um, the next bit is, you know, telling them the more detail, the better. And because a lot of people will naturally just write one or two sentences. But if you tell them, hey, I'm looking for detail, that gives them permission to write more. Um, I also tell them um, to not edit anything. So just brain dump everything that comes to mind because I'm going to edit it. And that's what most people don't do because most people think you can't 
edit a testimonial or that it's unethical to edit a testimonial. But it's not. It's completely fine as long as all the facts are correct. Like you're not making things up. You're not adding information or adding things that the, the person didn't say. You absolutely should be editing your testimonials because you know what your audience needs to hear. If you're if someone has written something completely irrelevant, don't just put it on your website or in your sales email because someone wrote it, right? Remove it. Um, and so the other thing that I say is, I, you know, I tell them how long it's going to be, how long this should take. So I give them that expectation of this survey is, will probably take you about 10 minutes so that they can think, okay, cool. I'm going to put 10 minutes aside to do this thing um, because otherwise it becomes a burden where they're just kind of clicking through and they're like, oh my God, when is this going to end, right? I also tell them how many questions so that they can prepare for that as well. So it really is about framing the whole experience and and setting the expectations. Um, and then I also say, I would love for you to give me the, the, the chance to share this testimonial so that I can um, promo your business a little bit on my social media and on my website. And I know to do this because I'm a copywriter, always talk in benefits. Um, no one wants to hear about how a testimony is going to help you grow your business because they don't care about your business. <laughs> Basically, they care about their own business, right? So turn it into a benefit for them. Like this, this testimonial isn't just going to help me grow my business. I'm going to help you grow your business because I'm going to promo it on my website, my social media, more people are going to hear about your business. And most people find will find it very difficult to say no to that. And we'll do, uh, we'll do the testimonial for you. And then it's about creating questions that actually get the information you need. So don't just ask, you know, how did you find working with me? What were you going through or what were you experiencing before you came to find me? What led you to hire an email copywriter? what struggles were you experiencing before you found me? Because you want to set like the whole picture and get the whole context uh, because that is super, super important to your testimonial too. Um, and then you want to go take them through the journey. So, you know, then, you know, what was it, what was it like working with me? Did, uh, were there, was there anything that almost made you say no to working with me? Because that's a great way to understand what's stopping people from working with you. Because this person said yes, but a million other people may not have ever come round and may have stuck with their no. So you want to know what it is that's stopping people from working with you because you also want to handle that in the testimonial in the testimonial and actually mention it. And then you can continue to go through that journey of, you know, how did you feel when you first saw the copy? Uh, because emotions is so, so important to this whole experience because we know that people make buying decisions based on their emotions primarily right as much as we all love to think that we're we're hugely rational I guess we are we are but emotion comes into it a lot and then you know end it on how do you feel now and what are you excited about for this you know copy to do for you and with me I'm in a great position because I can always go back and check results and and statistics and see what the open rates are and and if the open rates aren't you know um what they should be then I can go back and, you know, have an arrangement with the client where I go back and optimize and have a look at what's going on, that kind of thing. Um, but I think the difference between me and a lot of copywriters is that I'm really interested in the results because I know that that's what matters to my client. So firstly, it matters to me because I want to get great results for my client. Um, and then it also matters so much to my client who has invested in me. 
and has obviously come to me because they want a certain result. Although I do always say to clients, there are no results guaranteed because there's so much that goes into email. Uh, It's never just the email copy or strategy that's playing a role from email design to even the tech of email and implementation. Like there are so many different parts to it. Um, But yeah, uh, then so most copywriters don't go back and check results, but I do. And I think that's a huge, huge difference between me and a lot of copywriters. And that probably um, helps me get more customers and clients than maybe maybe some other copywriters because I know my audience well enough to know that they care about results. So when they read my testimonials, they're going to see mentions of results and statistics and open rates and, you know, conversions. And... And then the the key to to kind of putting that all together is to create that testimonial that tells a story and that that tells a journey and um, really, again, just reflects what your audience is thinking and feeling and helps them make a decision. Most people think that sales copy, whatever it is that you're writing, whether it's an email or website, whatever it is, most people think that the job of copy is to make someone say yes, but it's really not. The job of great copy is to make, is to help someone make a decision so that they say yes or no, as opposed to sitting on that fence and sticking with the, hmm, not sure. So even if they say, even if a testimonial makes someone say, no, this is not right for me, or this person isn't right for me, or someone reads your email and thinks, ah, okay, yeah, the Beanbus community is not right for me, that's still a win because you are getting closer to creating the environment and or working with the customers or the people that you want to and you are attracting the right people by making them say yes and you're repelling the wrong people by making them say no and that is the goal you really do pull those testimonials out of people (laughs) i think it's great though i think it's great and you just painted the whole picture of why it is that this sort of effort in getting testimonials is so important because it really is about pulling it out of people, right? It's about really getting them to share their experiences in the correct frame that you're going to get what you need and then putting it together in a way that you are going to get what you need out of the, out of using the testimonial. Um, That is, thank you so much for sharing that process. Now, I think the last piece of this puzzle is actually sharing those testimonials. And so I'm wondering from you where it is that you think that bosses, creative business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever you guys are calling yourself, where those testimonials need to be used for them. Everywhere. Because social proof is so so, so important. Because like I said at the beginning, no one wants to hear you talk about how amazing you are or how amazing your product is or whatever it is that you're selling. They want to hear other people say it and they will believe other people a whole lot more than they'll believe you. So whether that's on social media and you have constant, you know, um, like scheduled posts of testimonials going out, I highly recommend that. Um, whether it's just getting into the habit of asking people, you know, when someone says something nice about you, your service or your product, asking them, hey, can I screenshot that? Whether it's whether it's they've sent it in an email or whether it's an Instagram comment or post that they've tagged you in, hey, can I screenshot that? And you save it as part of your kind of testimonial um, reel that you just keep sharing. You should be sharing testimonials in your emails, especially when you're selling something. Like there should be, a whole 
email and in, in, in lots of cases, I actually do more. So I don't just do one email that's dedicated to testimonials. In, in a launch, I'll do like two, maybe even three because it's that important. Um, do share them in your sales emails and around your launches and all that good stuff. And of course, on your website. But most people make the mistake of having a testimonials page on their website where they just stick all the testimonials on one page. So it's like a navigation at the top, right? Testimonials, and there they all are. Which can work, but it shouldn't be the only place where your testimonials are. Um, The other mistake that people make with testimonials on their website is just having them at the bottom of the page, of the website page. Because the issue with that is that you are making the assumption that everybody is scrolling to the bottom. And most people, the majority of people, are not scrolling to the bottom of any page on your website. And so you have taken away their chance to see those testimonials. So what you really need to do is use is scatter your cross your testimonials across your website and also across each page of your website. And of course, always make it relevant to whatever it is that you're talking about there. Um, but that is the way to, to use testimonials because you don't want them to be concentrated in one place because whether that's on a testimonials page or at the bottom, because you're making an assumption about the user, the way the user uses your website, which never make assumptions about that. <laughs> um, even with emails, the, the problem with only sharing testimonials in an email one time is that you're making the assumption that everybody's going to open that email, which is 100% not the case. So give people the chance to see it, um, you know, multiple times. And then the other way to use testimonials is to use them in places where there are points of hesitation or objection. So if I have just introduced the price of my thing, I may then have a testimonial directly below that where I talk about, um, where I introduce someone who is talking about the price and maybe how they weren't sure about whether it was going to be value for money, but actually it turned out to be and they're loving it and, you know, they wish they'd bought more or whatever it is. Um, So really use your testimonials intentionally and strategically to think about um, and think about where they would be best placed. Pepper them everywhere. Yes. Absolutely everywhere. everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Wonderful. I feel like you have given us such a, such a wonderful broad perspective of testimonials and how they are powerful and how you need to be spending more time working on getting those testimonials and gathering that feedback than you are actually writing any sales copy that you're writing. It is ill-informed if you have not done that research and how to get it and where to put all of it. Any sort of last tips or thoughts for us? Oh, I think I've given you everything. The only other thing I would say is, like you just said, Emily, a lot of people again, make the mistake of thinking about testimonials as a last minute thing. Or, which is something that's really frustrating for me, is when I work with someone and they don't ask me for a testimonial right after we've worked together, they'll ask me for it three weeks or a month later. And I'm like, at this point, I can't even remember (laughs) what the process was. Because as business owners, we're busy and we've done a million other things since those two or three weeks have passed. And so really make testimonials part of your systems and processes. So just like you get a new client, for example, and you send them an onboarding email, make it part of your process for offboarding that 
you request a testimonial. Like it is not a thing that you have to remember. It just happens because it's part of your process. It's part of your workflow. That way you never, um, you never miss it. You never forget it. And also you can set the expectations at the beginning with your client. Um, I have in my contract a, part, a section where I talk about, you know, asking them for a testimonial um, at the end of our project and that I may even ask them for a case study at the end of, of our project so that they know that these are things I'm thinking about so that when I ask them for a testimonial, they're not surprised. It's not the first time they're hearing about it. Absolutely. Yes to that. I like to gather testimonials and keep them all in either a Google. They used to be in Google Docs. Now I keep them in a Notion sort of database. And that way I can always just like go in there and pull from them as I need. Like keeping them all in one place too is an important part of that process of gathering them is make sure it's easy to find them when you need them because there's nothing more embarrassing than having to search through four years of emails (laughs) to find that one testimonial. Exactly. I totally agree. Awesome. Aman, please share with everyone where it is that they can find you around the internets. Thank you. So my brand new sparkling website is inkhouse, inkhouse.org.uk, O-R-G.uk. And my Instagram is at inkhousewriting. So come and say hi. I'd love to, to chat to you. And last question for you. So what makes you feel most boss? What makes me feel most boss? I feel most boss when I have complete control of my day. When I don't feel like my day is being dictated by other people's schedule, whether that's meetings or calls or even just replying to other people's emails. Um, Like today, I knew that I'd be doing this interview kind of early evening for me. So I had a lie-in. I took my son to school and I went back home. I did like a couple of hours of of work and then I went back to bed. <laughs> and I had a nap <laughs> because naps are important. <laughs> and and then I cooked a roast for my family and then just like came out to have my interview. And just being able to have those days where I fully control my day and like I can work um, according to my energy levels and my needs and my family's needs that definitely makes me feel most boss. I love every bit of that. Thank you so much for coming and chat with me. Thank you for having me. Here's a fact. In the Being Boss C-Suite, an exclusive peer mastermind group of six-figure business owners, hiring and managing your team is the thing we talk about most. Why? Because as you build a business, you're going to find yourself building a team. But I promise it's not as scary as it seems, especially with the help of Gusto. Gusto is a payroll benefits, HR and management tool all in one place, run fast, easy payroll, provide benefits, conduct onboarding and more. So you're building your team with ease. Get three months free after you run your first payroll. When you sign up for your account at gusto.com slash being boss, that's gusto.com slash being boss. Now until next time, do the work, be boss. Yeah.